I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello and welcome to The Watch on the Channel 33 podcast feed. My name is Chris Ryan and I am an editor at TheRinger.com and with me in the studio... He chooses violence. It's Andy Greenwald. Woo, feels good to be here. Woo, what's up, man? Woo, we're coming in hot. Yeah, you can subscribe to Channel 33 where you will find The Watch and dozens, eh, not dozens, a few other podcasts. <laughs> you can subscribe to us on uh, iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. And I really, really would love it if folks listening would go to TheRinger.com and sign up for, for that Ringer newsletter. I'm psyched about people discovering the literally fours of other podcasts they can find on Channel 33. It's ever-growing. Yeah. Uh, Andy, we are here on a Tuesday. Tuesday night. Yeah, in Los Angeles, mere hours after Game of Thrones' first real official trailer for season... Six? Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you lost in Westeros I'll a little go bit back there? there. Andy, we are here mere hours after season six Game of Thrones trailer really dropped... Um, about a minute and a half of goodness, and that's going to be the f- topic for our first In and Out. You thought we forgot about In and Out? We didn't. Oh no, 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 no! <laughs> Nothing like rubrics for the true watchheads. You know, I know. Can we throw another format on top of In and Out even before we talk about it? Sure. Winners and losers of today. Chris Isaac, big big winner. Winner, big winner. Didn't get to sing on the actual trailer. No, but people were thinking about him. So it's about a minute forty five seconds. Yep. First glimpse, first glimpses of season six, and. Surprising no one. It looks like Dragon Flames. It does look like Dragon Flames. They are uh, also keeping your boy Kit Harrington lying prone on the mm-hmm. ground or on planks of wood, what yeah. have you. Uh, so anything that he is doing uh, that that is ambulatory. Yeah, like I feel like they're really like they're sticking to the to the script here. To yeah. the extent that there is one, but there isn't a script. So we, this is sort of the cool thing about this, is this is going to be the first season yep. that isn't based on a, a book. We're all blind now. This is pretty exciting. Just We're like all little young Arya Ar- shucking. <laughs> all little Arya <laughs> shucking oysters and hoping for the best. <laughs> Look, you know, I can only imagine how much time they spent just just culling this trailer because they want to show us some things but not show us too much. It's a mystery box. So Cersei hasn't had time to grow her hair out. But Bran has time to grow into has had time to grow into at least small forward it's height. It's the air up in the north. It's very it's very <laughs> it's uh, conducive thin to, to, and to body ages you. It's like Benjamin Button. Look, we, we're not going to get it to and do it now. Obviously, the answer for both of us. Can I speak for you? Yeah, yeah. We are all the way in. Yeah, all the way in. We are super psyched about this. We're so psyched that we are actually going to punt a little bit. Yeah, and we're going to do our first official Game of Thrones season six preview pod on Monday with some special guests. With some guests, we are of course incredibly excited to be talking about the show again this year we can't wait to do it yeah um just the final note that you know as if i wasn't already in the thing that just like pulled me to the center of the room onto the dance floor my man davos well that was what i was gonna say is that the coolest thing about this trailer is we've always talked about our favorite part of thrones is when they mix and match the characters yeah so somebody will be like kind of on a journey with one person but then all of a sudden it's like Brienne and Jamie are hanging out, yep. or you know, uh, Tyrion and you know, Bronn will be together, or whatever it is. The Davos moving around is my, is going to be the, my little thing. I'm really looking forward to this season. Davos has just been the slow burn. Yeah, everybody loves onions. All right, let's move on to the next one, Andy. It's really uh, kind of like a little bit of a late pass, but I I know that you yeah really had a hot take on this Ghostbusters trailer. Listen, if there's <laughs> one thing this trailer needs. It is just a burning, no, scorching hot opinion from someone who makes his name on the internet. <laughs> I just want to say, we talked about a moment ago how much time they spent on that Game of Thrones trailer. Mm-hmm. They should have spent more time on this Ghostbusters trailer. That's all I want to say. Because 
I am not one of these dudes, and I'm sorry, ladies, it's all dudes who are out there being like, how dare you touch my childhood with this profane reboot? Right. Let me be honest with you, I don't care. S- but Sidebar? Yeah. If Ghostbusters is mm. is the thing you really care about, yeah. isn't that kind of weird? Like, I'm not trying to say that you can't. Uh-huh. If you're into Star Wars or Star Trek, yeah. I get it. It's yeah. got uh, an ethos. Sure. You know, there's a mythology to it. Midichlorians. It's just Ghostbusters. Like, Bill Murray doesn't but, take it that seriously. Chris, Bustin makes me feel good. <laughs> so why wouldn't I get upset about and it? And it is true. Like, you can kind of grow up and you can always tell yourself before you go to sleep, likely alone, I ain't afraid of no ghosts. <laughs> yeah, look. <laughs> The thing about you just said about Bill Murray, the reason Ghostbusters is good is because Bill Murray never cracked the scripts. Yeah. That's what's brilliant about the movie. But it's a delightful film, and I'm not trying to take anything away from it. I think this is a great idea. I love this cast. I'm super supportive of it. I think it could be quite good. The problem with this trailer, the thing that bummed me out about it, was it felt like every other movie. It turned it into another one of these kind of sloppy, slovenly, we'll find the movie in post improv Apatow Apatovian, Figi, and things where it's just like, I guess they're going to slap each other a little bit. Like, that's the best you can do? Like, how many episodes, how many hours of Croatian outtakes do the Thrones people go through to be like, Davos has got our kicker. He's got our hammer line. Yeah. And then in this one, they're just like, that's going to leave a mark? But it's not like they're like, Ghostbusters can't, like, is not going to be like, we got to hide Kristen Wiig from people. You know what I mean? No. And I think that my issue with it more, like, and it's it's an issue in the sense that it's like, I had a thought and then it left my brain, was just that, like Jurassic Park and Force Awakens, Jurassic Park or World, Jurassic World and Force Awakens before it, it seems to be a note-for-note remake rather than a reboot, which... Do your thing. I mean, it's it's your IP, but yeah. I'm just saying, like, you could have just been a little bit more imaginative. It looks like it has, like, almost every single beat that the first one did. I just feel like they kind of caught an L on the trailer. Like, it's usually the hype machine is so well manicured yeah. and managed. It's kind of interesting that they may have botched the rollout. Because then you saw, like, there was a fan cut of the trailer that people think was better. Now, to be clear, I did not actually watch that fan cut of the trailer, but I just wanted people to know <laughs> that it's out there. In case Bustin is your thing and it makes you feel good. Out. I'm out right now on the trailer. I'm still in on the movie. I'm like one foot in, one foot out. Oh, look at you. Are you comfortable doing that? Yeah. Well, yeah, because I feel like I have something coming for this next one and I want to save my outrage. You ready oh, for this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Andy and I, we don't, I don't want to get too bogged down in, in, in like, you know, ogre screaming nerds. Yeah. But... <laughs> Captain America Civil War running is going to be the longest Marvel movie ever made. Yeah. Apparently. Uh come on, man. Yo. You're like like get your come get your boys, Kevin Feig. <laughs> this isn't the Godfather 2. It's Iron Man and Captain America fighting. This should be a 27-minute movie. Do you know how many people are in this movie? How many people had to get serviced? How many just lost man hours drinking Remy Martin and talking about Why spackling is Paul Rudd in Atlanta? In this movie? Because he signed up, man. They're all in it. This is the kind of weird thing where it's like, I, th- I wonder if they were trying to moneyball it and they signed all these people to like nine movie deals. And then like Marvel became very successful as yeah. a movie properties. And they were like, oh shit. Like all these people have to be in this movie. No, but can I just say like, it's going to make the same amount of money at two hours and 30 minutes than it is at like 80 minutes so why don't you just make two make turn into three movies they are they're gonna do that with the next two i look i'm just like the the length of this there's already a batman versus superman it's gonna be what two hours 34 minutes i got places to be man yeah not watching batman fight superman no or both the movies have the same problem if the movie is about batman punching superman Why is Aquaman jumping out of the... Why is he just jumping into the club? Why is he coming out of the ocean like, did somebody order fish fingers? 
What is up with that? He's, 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 he's Long he, John Silvering it? He, he's Arthur Treacher delivery guy like, yo, anybody hungry? Yeah, fresh catch. Nobody nobody asked for you, man. What if Aquaman is just like, I really need to talk about like the con- conserving water <laughs> yeah, exactly. and like saving the Galapagos and he's helping like, out uh, all the turtles out here? He's like, actually, here's an inconvenient truth. Like, what if what if that was his role in the movie? Now actually, you know, I would respect Zack Snyder if when Jason <laughs> Momoa opens his mouth, yeah. it's just the sounds of the Mariana <laughs> trench like those soundcloud loops of deep deep water exploration it's like i'm gonna i'm gonna run a counter is i'm never gonna respect Zack snyder that's my counter just keep your movies shorter dogs (laughs) just it's fine yeah you can comic books are light why are the movies so heavy Didn't there used to be a thing when like you could maximize your profit because you could have more screenings i i don't know what's up with this yeah can we call like like uh like john regal heir to the regal cinema (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like Void Regal, yeah. just to, just to be like guys, hot take from the theater chains. Like we want more of these. We yeah. have shorter movies. I don't know, man. Let's get on to Sunday night television. Um, we had a couple. Like I think we 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 talked last week a little bit about this TV championship. Belt. And we should say, by the way, just to jump in, in case some loyal watch listeners aren't glued to Twitter. We did our last podcast as a special guest podcast on the Bill Simmons podcast. Oh, right. So you may have missed this episode. It's kind of an Easter egg for fans. you got to go hunt it out. <laughs> yeah. Um, we talked about, just to recap, we talked about this idea that we're going to continue here on The Watch. If you if you, if you want to find this show, we just go to BillSimmonsPodcast.com or search for Bill's show. It was last Friday we recorded it. We introduced it. Introduced I like how you're idea. acting like at the, at the credits for 10 Cloverfield Lane. Someone will jump up and let you know where to find that podcast. Um Jason Momoa will do it. Um, <laughs> the idea with the TV championship belt, which is mm-hmm. something we're going to run with here on The Watch, which is basically for every season of the year, and I believe the birds told us that there were four seasons, and to everything there is one of those, right? There's yeah. a championship belt. Yeah. Um, the idea being that there is one show per season that kind of captures um, viewers' attention and kind of the zeitgeist and a certain level of See, quality. I'm thinking, like, it, it could get taken any week. It could get snatched? Yeah, but that kind of segues nicely into what we were going to talk about, which was just basically that we have a, a, a group of shows right now that ha- none of them have pulled away from the other. There's a pack. Well, we we gave the belt. Yeah, to somebody. OJ we... is out in front, like okay. you know, like riding in the yellow jersey up the up the Alps. Like we see it there. We see Sarah Paulson's beautiful perm. But, but you're saying that maybe it was doping, like it was Sharapovaing it, and so it might get pulled. Well, back I do think the that pack. the the it, it's sensational. You know what I mean? So I think it's very much like it. F- yeah. And this is part of what we wanted to kind of point out with the belt is that it's not just like aesthetically the best. It's something that kind of captures something. Yeah, because going back to Thrones. This is still what we love about TV, even as we're moving into a more, I guess, democratic, more spread out, uh, streamier universe where people just watch things when they want, whenever, you know, at any at any speed or any pace. We still really love the idea of a TV show being able to capture the, the national attention and conversation. Yeah, in a absolutely. Certain way. Uh, so there's these shows. There's Vinyl. There yep. is... Um, Saul. Better Call Saul. Better, so- better Call Saul. Walking Dead, which we haven't really touched on this season. Um, yeah. And now we have House of Cards back. Mm-hmm. And you can see OJ out in front leading the pack. It's got the yellow jersey. You can see Sarah Paulson's perm out in the distance. But one show that I think we used to consider a candidate for the belt, at least in its first season, was House yeah. of Cards, which sure. came back Friday. All of it, all the episodes are available for season four. Um, I've watched seven. I know you've watched a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about where the show is at. Yeah. Well, you, you're very positive on it. And I, I found myself... You know, I watch it, but I'm not I'm not a fan of the show. You know, I think the show has revealed what it is, and what it is is a 
ruthless machine, not unlike the characters that it presents. You know, it is um, devastatingly snackable and compelling. And it's, you know, I can't, it would be hard to imagine a show with rhythms better suited to Netflix's own algorithms in the sense that exactly they know how to end the show so that when the next window pops up, like going to the next one, you are psyched for it. You're yeah. not dreading it. Um, they know what they're doing, you know, and I and I appreciate that. It's a very well-made show. But honestly, the feel, the thing that it reminds me of is, stay with me on this, strap on your yellow jersey. There was an Instagram feed run by a uh, pseudonymous blogger or internet presence called uh, Jacques Lemaire. And okay. if you're watching Top Chef this year, this person outed herself and revealed who she was. But the shtick behind this Instagram feed was, right, pictures of beautiful, like, food-porny, perfectly lit photos of stunningly composed plates, the kind of stuff you would expect at, like, a new, like at Noma in Copenhagen or something, just, like, artful, minimalist, totally soigné, as they say. Okay. And then you look closely at the pictures, and the pieces of the food, it's, like, ripped-up Twinkies and Fruity Pebbles. Oh, yeah. And it's made with kind of made with hot garbage that's really bad for I you. See. And what I'm saying is... Really? Wait, you're blowing my mind right This now. is what House of Cards is to me. Um, it, is, it is beautiful. It is snackable. It is empty calories that ultimately will leave you with a stomachache. And because the show is kind of just contemptuous of everything, and I respect its dedication to that, but it, it bums me out after a while, you know? And, and I've, I've criticized the show for other reasons before, like the, the political stuff. Like I, every time a actual quote-unquote news commentator pops up just so eager, so excited about getting that call to perform what they do and basically basically sun themselves, I feel like, to be like, oh, That's well, right. You, you really hate the depiction of the media I in this show. I hate it. I hate it when they're like, we, it, they're basically admitting I think what they should... do, that they're frauds yeah. and they're doing it on this show too. <laughs> wink, wink, we're all playing the game here. I think it does a disservice to people who do real stuff, and I think it also... I can't believe you're taking this seriously. Listen, though, I know, but it bums me out after a while. I watch a couple of them, and I'm into it. Yeah. And I'm impressed. Like, little stuff like um, this season brought back... Uh, what's his name? Uh, I don't know the names of these people, but... The, Bob Birch? No, the dude. <laughs> Big Birch guy. Lucas Davidson? Larry Pine. Lucas, right? Yeah. Lucas has been in lockup. Not just bring him back. Started with him. Uh-huh. Started with him ring finger deep. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, that dude has become, like, a storyteller in the grand oral tradition. <laughs> yeah. Alan Lomax recordings in the prison. He's a very major figure in this first yeah. half of the season. I just wanted to say, though, that was great. Like, that's the sort of thinking, diabolical thinking, that a show should be engaged in. Like, what threads could we possibly still have to tug? Oh, there was something that was left un, un, untugged. Let's tug it. And I realize that's basically what he's helping his, his cellmate do, too. So I'm trying to have this conversation on two levels. <laughs> I, I, I respect that. You know, it's yeah. well chosen. I think election stuff, like going back to, I still ride for that West Wing election season. You know, election stuff is fun. The Jimmy Smith joint to watch, but the show fundamentally bums me out because I think it's sort of both flattering and disingenuous. This idea of political figures as grand Machiavellian Shakespearean actors when they're just—it's basically either it's Veep or it's like what's actually happening in the news, which is ten times scarier. Right. So that's my. T- I feel like I just grabbed the mic from you when you're the guy that came in hot on this show. No, I think, okay, so there's a couple of different things happening here. First of all, there, Lucas plays a significant role this season, so got to let what, that string roll out a little bit. What do you think about Lucas's scruff? Uh, like, I think that if you are helping a, a white power man yeah. masturbate in jail, yeah. like you kind of maybe want to like have a little bit of facial hair. Because that dude doesn't have many options for like just coming off as like prison tough. 
Yeah. No, neither do I. No, I and I, I, I like that he's kind of like, I'm going to p- play up my intellect in jail. That's always like an interesting word. It worked for Albert Brooks and Out of Sight, you know? Yeah, that's a great call. Uh, so your problem with it is that you're taking this show way too seriously. I know. And oh, I don't I think the show takes itself too seriously. You're talking about some kind of deception, like as if they're pretending like it's this that's a good point. French food, but it's actually a Twinkie. But in reality, I think that what's throwing you off yeah. is the packaging. So it's still a Twinkie, and I think they know it's a Twinkie. And if anything, they've just been like, take away the kale, take away the lovely red year wine. By year. It's a Twinkie. And yeah. and the episodes themselves actually have been engineered now. I mean, you talk about those last five minutes. I find that a lot of like quote unquote prestige television will do the hammer in the last five minutes mm-hmm. to keep you wanting to watch it. Mm-hmm. But the first 40 minutes are rather dull. In this case, I think that they've really trimmed a lot of the fat from yeah. the episodes it's, and they've kind of just come to a realization that this is we've always joked about this slow food stamp scandal that it's basically a soap opera and i want to say i didn't say this i should have led with this i think what i've seen is better than season three yeah there's there's no question about that so because there's no bird watching because they learn from their mistakes on this show and yeah they, i do think that if it had i would be interested to know what a world in which house of cards is on every week looks like or really i don't care what the world looks like i care <laughs> yeah. what that house of cards plays the like sliding doors version of our universe where the show is isn't streaming yeah can you right. imagine <laughs> it's like that's the most important that's decision. the only thing that's different um what house of cards has kind of done is industrialized david fincher and in the same way that vinyl has started to industrialize Scorsese, although I think it's doing it a little bit, it's doing it very artfully. Yeah. You know, I basically there is no composition of this show that doesn't look like it was shot through a prism of all of David Fincher's lenses. And even though he's not, I think, really at all involved in the show except in name only anymore. Yes, they've taken his sort of visual sensibility and turned it into a style book that anybody can execute. And while that is happening. I feel like they've really just sort of bored down to what they want this show to be about, yeah. which is a hysterical struggle for power. And I, for some reason, I find it utterly watchable. I wouldn't consider it at all one of like the best shows on television, yeah, but I, it's so addictive. I just don't find it fun. And like, I think TV should be fun. We've talked about how one of the things we appreciate most about OJ is just how entertaining it is. Yeah, but it's interesting this, that the show t- gives me a stomachache. I don't know what it is. But what do you think it is? Why is OJ somehow can't be fun, but House of Cards is not? I think that OJ is using the prism of something real and taking a tone that is as tabloidy and sensational as the event itself and the coverage around it to actually deliver some strikingly intelligent and smart commentary about today. The conversation we had about OJ when we were doing the belt talk on on Bill's show on Friday, you know, we spent a lot of time talking about the sneaky way the show is doing great, taking great strides for diversity on television. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Trojan horsing really important work, I think, in terms of representation on TV. And again, what we said on Friday was not just casting a- actors of color, but giving them an enormous range of emotions and opportunities in what they're playing. So on that show, because Johnny Cochran is a larger-than-life figure that people are invested in and interested in, we don't just see him being um, you know, uh, loquacious in the courtroom. We see him being you know, urgent and passionate and humiliated and then loving and flirtatious with his wife, and we get to see all of it. Yeah. And the show is using something it, – it, it's – it's almost it's the reverse house of cards, right? Because it is using something that feels light and inessential to actually do something that is sneakily essential 
And I feel like House of Cards is using the trappings of something important to do something that is deeply frivolous. Now, I'm not against frivolity. That's the if there's one takeaway from this podcast, but pro frivolity. But maybe, I just I just don't enjoy it. Okay, let's let's take it this way. Yeah. Do you think that three years ago yeah. or four years ago you had more of an appetite for frivolity? Well, what I would and I'm say not trying is, to be like personal. I mean, do you, do, you is, I is to, it? I had a spring in my step then. No, but is is your relate is your so appetite for something being frivolous or dismiss or like easily digestible or whatever you want to say about it? bigger when you're like i'm watching 20 shows yes than it is when you're watching three i guess what i was going to say is there is a regardless of how you feel about house of cards it is a how many how many episodes in the season 12 13 13. it is a 13 hour commitment to watch it and if i'm not enjoying it up if if it doesn't move the needle above like a six or a seven all i'm doing is thinking about the shows that i'm not watching that i haven't either tried out yet or i want to catch up on or you know, this is going to become the running gag of, of our podcast, but, you know, still haven't finished Daredevil. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> still haven't finished it, and season two's coming. Well, I haven't watched Happen Leonard yet, and I'm really curious about that. Like, there are these – there. Uh, I just got the screeners for the, the Hulu show, The the um, the um Path. The Path. You know, like, we haven't watched uh, 112263, and I think we'd probably like it from everything I've heard about it. So this doesn't make for good – podcast copy for no it does be like, because it's about but, but I mean, it's a very just, real like experience to, right. of television i just mean first to list the things we wish we were watching but that sort of now that i'm not watching everything and writing about it i am now entered into that same marketplace that i was once you know serving a well as a wealth management consultant for well it's interesting like, too, i have the x number of hours and i want to use them correctly it's interesting too to think about whether you look at these shows in a vacuum or in relation to one another like right. i prefer watching house of cards to better call saul right now interesting you prefer watching OJ to House of Cards and like the, like whether or not the one relates to the other, like does it mean you can have – basically like are you evaluating these things on their own terms or within the context of what's also on? And that actually is why we were sort of talking about that belt in the yeah. first place is because shows don't exist in a vacuum but anymore. But I, I appreciate you making that point because I think that I am – I think my my relationship with vinyl – is more fluid and changing than I thought it would be because I am able to watch it on its own and not comparing it to the other shows on at the moment. If I had if I had been reviewing the show uh, as a critic, you know, I would have watched the six that were sent out and I would have had a fixed opinion and I probably wouldn't have revisited it for a while. Yeah. I did not watch any of them in advance except the first one so we could talk about it. Um, you know, and I didn't like the first one, was so-so on the second. Really enjoyed the third, and so on, and so for me that show is, and I'm not comparing it to the others. and the fourth to me is the best one. Yeah, and I'm not, but, but I'm not saying. I, I think I would have eas- more easily slipped into the trap of saying, uh, "Well, Better Call Saul is superior," so I just don't have time to continue to continue to evaluate vinyl. Maybe what's nagging at us about this, or what's underneath a lot of this, is that, and OJ obviously like feels important right now, but we haven't had a show that upended our expectations or made it really paid off in a while and I, even something that's like thoughtful and beautiful and amazing as the nick i think fell into a little bit of like a, like second seasonitis first same as the first like they kind of hit a lot of the same beats in the second season that they had in the first and it, even though it was like kind of revolutionary in the way it was shot and, and, and the way it ended and the way it Ooh. ended sure but it's not the first time something like that has happened on a show 
someone perform surgery on themselves? No, but I don't want to give away what happens at the end of the Nick to people who haven't seen it yet. It involved injecting cocaine, not a spoiler. <laughs> yeah, well, that happens on vinyl, too. It's <laughs> That's not, true. Um, yeah, the idea that none of these shows are really, like, pushing television any further than where it is right now. They're either good, they're frivolous, they're... You know, I had, a, I had an interesting conversation with someone today where I... Someone who has a very, very strong... Someone who works in TV, and I was talking about... Don't roll your eyes at me. I was talking about the Americans coming back, and the fourth season is starting um, uh, in in uh, a week. And uh, I was saying, you know, I think it's the best show on TV. I do, and I think the fourth season. I've seen the first four episodes of the new season, and I think they're absolutely brilliant and just totally did my head in. And this person was like, "What are you talking about?" And I generally agree with this person about TV. And his, he got really upset about it because not because he thought the acting was poor or the storytelling was bad. It was because he said it was visually drab and uninteresting, and it looked like TV. Therefore, oh. it was just TV. Interesting. And I would agree with that. I think the you main— just slap the quattrato out of their mouth and just say, <laughs> get out of this Uber? I did. I did. Um, and I agree. I think that the one knock against that show is I do think it's visually it's, it's visually uninspiring. And I think the argument that it's sort of intentional, it's like, you know, it's filmed in winter, and it's supposed to be you know, Soviet and all these things. I think that you can only— you can only beat that drum sure. so, so far. You know, because in a world where Soderbergh is directing directing the Nick, in a world where, where Fincher directs the first House of Cards, or you have a show like uh, like Rectify, or, you know, where something is just visually stunning or surprising, it's hard to make the case for something uh, when it looks like everything else. And I realize we're just never going to bridge this gap because it depends what you're looking for in TV. What, do you, what, standards, are you, what standards are you holding each... TV experience too, right? And we're it's becoming increasingly hard. This is funny that we're getting meta here, but this is increasingly hard to do what we like to do, which is compare them. Yeah, because they are such unique, walled off experiences now. And one of the reasons we have the belt is to try to um, try and push up, push back against that, but also to um, try and knock down those walls a little bit and suggest that they're all swimming in the culture and sometimes one of them is able to s- swim to the surface yeah and i think that there's any at any given time you could see something that was like a sitcom have be, be like the best show on television that's a very special episode of mom yeah <laughs> that knocked yo i mean this megan fox new girl run man <laughs> yeah i know you in the first email where you were like we got to talk about the belt you threw new girl in there i know i, I was think just... you i think you parenthetical question marked it yeah which i appreciate <laughs> It's the, it's really the typography that gets me <laughs> into this stuff, um, you know. But then there's other stuff. But you're right in the sense that something like New Girl could be in the conversation because I think for everything we're talking about, and we're going to get back to some of those other shows in more detail. Um, I think our favorite thing on TV, just our favorite tiny thing, is Jessa and and Adam on uh, on Girls right now. Yes, we love this. Yes, uh, we were talking with we were talking with Bill about this yesterday. He's all in on this, even when he's not fully in on the show. He, like people are. People, this is this. You want to talk about wearing the yellow jersey and pulling away from the pack? It's like that plot line. I mean, like, and girls has been, I think, pretty funny this year. It's been very good this year. Just watching the two of them together, and you're just like, I can't believe it took you this many years to do this. I mean, one of the great joys of watching a lot of TV comes from the fact when something just, when something incredible can be pulled out of found objects. You know, like it's basically not to go back. I know I already mentioned Top Chef once, but when they're like, here are the six ingredients make a masterpiece yeah. and you can like these are the same these are the same ingredients we've had that's the crazy the thing since right day one yeah and they someone figured it out i don't know whether it was like a 
I don't know whether it was something that had been percolating, some something someone had been pitching for years, and they finally were like, fine. I also think I thought or if like, it was like a season, I thought this season you were going to have like one shot of Adam Driver coming in to raise coffee shop, like, great cup of joe, Ray. And then like J.J. Abrams would just put a black bag totally. over his head and no, take him back. No, but, he, he, but he walks in still wearing the Kylo Ren outfit, and he's like, well, this is weird. They're doing Do crazy things in Bushwick like, these Disney days. Disney executives watch like what happens in Girls, and they're like... God damn it. I'm going to stop you right after do you think Disney executives watch girls? I'm, I'm just going to stop you right there and say it's pretty hard no. Uh, that is a delightful thing. But like we were saying about the Netflix show Love, like like Gillian Jacobs just slays on that show. But I haven't felt any burning desire to go back and watch all that much more of it because right. there are all these other things going on. Um, I wanted a quick thing about, about Better Call Saul this week. Um, the episode – it was on. We're recording this Tuesday, so the episode that was on last night, um, the, uh, the the fourth episode of the season. People seemed, you know, we we've noted about that the reaction to the season had seemed kind of muted, mm-hmm. considering how excited everyone was for the show to debut last year. And this was the one that a lot of people were ready to jump on and be like, "Okay, Saul's back. This world is back," because right. it felt a little more Mike. Centric and the argument you were you were yeah um, it was Sean Collins had a piece in the Observer a couple weeks ago where it was like this is the the Mike problem for this show is that he's almost too interesting but he's also almost too interesting but he's also a superhero because right. we know he's unkillable at this point in the show so it becomes like Lucky Luciano and Boardwalk Empire where it's fun to hang out with these immortal guys doing the yeah. cool stuff yeah yeah adjacent to the plot um, what do you said, what do you think happens in the OJ show that <laughs> well, that's a terrific point but um. But Jonathan Banks is just so good, and they're being very inventive about how they're revealing what he is and who he who he can be and what he will become. But here's what I was thinking about when I was watching this episode. It kind of low on elder care specifics this week, so I know you must have been a little bit. Bummed. Yeah, it was really funny. There's but, a part part where the one of the lawyers who works with Ed Begley says yeah. Sandpiper doesn't even matter to this law firm, and I was like, well, I'm glad we made a show about yeah, exactly it. right. <laughs> but here's here's why I realize some people are this rubbing some people the wrong way because. Vince Gilligan and Peter Gould in their writer's room and the, the, whole, the whole team down in ABQ, they do certain things really, really well. And we've, we've talked about them, you know, at, at great length. And just in terms of the way they construct their story, the way they come into it sideways, the way they build tension. These are the same skills that they, they, they flashed, they honed, and then just excelled at on Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. What they do so well is minutiae, like how a small thing leads to a chain reaction to make a big thing. Yeah. And... You know, it's a scientific method, basically. I, I use that phrase a lot when I was writing about Breaking Bad. What's interesting is to take a small, you know, to the flick of one domino and how it turns into a cascading, I was going to say raging river of dominoes, which is a terrible metaphor, but stay with me. <laughs> just imagine just like being crushed by mahjong tiles and raging Jason, Jason Momoa comes out of it. He's like, I'm in the wrong, me. In the wrong metaphor. <laughs> um, the point being... That stuff is super duper interesting. The minutia. The minutia, the dominoes, if you're doing it about a guy becoming a drug dealer and criminal. You're absolutely people right. People love that. This season, or on this show, they are taking that same patient, delicate, dedicated approach to the law. And for a guy who's going to wind up working in a Cinnabon. And, exactly. And I have to say, you know, I'm, I'm married to a lawyer. I'm familiar with how long things actually take as opposed to the way Law & Order presents legal yeah. cases. Document you literally review, wiped up the law. Document. <laughs> I am married to the law. I swear by it. Document review, that's a real thing. Building a class for a class action suit, that's real, dog. That takes years. 
and breaking and i appreciate that better call saul are using that the people who make it are using that same patient approach and especially because you know they have the they have the rope they can do that they have all the patients they've they've earned our patience and trust but fundamentally i don't think it's as interesting to as large an audience and I think that, that that might be where the splintering this season. Yeah, I should know better. From. I love Breaking Bad and I know how these guys do their business. Like yeah. everything matters. But it's a different and business. Like when I was like you know, I joke about Sandpiper, but every time I've mentioned it, like everybody hits me up, be like, You remember what happened to Gus and where he was at and where like all these people, you know, like Tio Salamanca. Yeah, yeah, it's just like the the importance of, of senior citizen facilities throughout the Breaking Bad verse or whatever. But I understand all that, and I sometimes forget it while watching it, and that's actually a problem because you shouldn't have to be like, it all matters yeah. for having an important hour of television. And, like, I, we, we, you, for as much as Mike is a problem because we know about his killability for a while, Jimmy's a problem slash Saul is a problem because ultimately he's just the drug dealer's lawyer. Yeah. And he ultimately, this is the sort of interesting thing about where they're going to try and retrofit the Saul character because he was comic relief who showed up in 10 scenes a season or yeah. something like that for the first few seasons of the show. And he was kind of an afterthought. And I, I surely appreciate the exploration of like this world. I love the Albuquerque, Albuquerque underworld like this, but it just, I, I can't, I'm surprised that I am back at the place where I am now, which is like, did this have to be a show? I, here's the one other thing I'll say in, in favor of the show because I'm still enjoying it which was in this episode there's a scene with uh, our man Tuco is back and, and Tuco and, and Nacho are there and the, the scene is shot in a taqueria it's like La Michoacana taqueria clearly a real place whether it's in business or not I don't know and immediately it feels like a real place yeah. and I just want to sh- just have a little shout out for location shooting yeah because to go back to my favorite show on TV The Americans which shoots in my neighborhood in the dead of winter and it it tries to turn my neighborhood into Washington DC in 1983 so it's just like bland on taupe on off white on yeah. bland yeah, yeah. it could be anywhere it kind of doesn't matter and to see a place that it is a place elevates it it elevates the scenes and it keeps me visually engaged in the show so there is something to be said for that and it's always I always think it's worth mentioning. It's so funny that the Breaking Bad pilot, you know, was written to be in California, to be in Southern California, to be like Inland Empire or outside of L.A. And then AMC or Sony was just like, you know, there's this thing called tax breaks. Yeah, right. And they were like, I guess we'll have to rip up the script, change the locations. And then Vince Gilligan flew there and was like, oh, this is this made the show a million times better. So. Get out there and see America is what I'm saying. So one other thing, moving off TV for a second, you know, I know you love this. It's one of your favorite things about our relationship other than putting question marks into parentheses and emailing <laughs> to me, which is that every time I come out here, which is a lot, I watch something called movies. I like to just get into the cinema. On Andy's the airplane. airplane movies. Andy's airplane movies. The flight out here, I saw a good flick and I wanted to touch base with you about it. And I feel like it's okay to talk about movies after a few months because you know this one's streaming on amazon now that's how i saw it on the plane so i watched end of the tour to the david foster wallace movie it's uh, uh jason siegel and, and jesse eisenberg and i really 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 liked it almost maybe loved it i really enjoyed watching it but and i was surprised that i did you like the movie right you yeah were, you yeah were, james you... potzel might be like one of my on the low 
top three favorite filmmakers right now did he spectacular now is that his movie yeah and he did a bunch of episodes of masters master of none oh right and but isn't he also doing like this the stand or is he's doing one of those no they i think that like he was part of it for a while but they like he wanted moving on from i'm not sure he's doing i'll look up what he's doing now you hopped off you just talked for a minute (laughs) um but here's why i was surprised that i liked it because i'm not a david foster wallace guy like i i've never read infinite jest and i'm not even one of those people who like pretends they've read it but didn't read it like i don't even have the talking points on it i know that david foster wallace wore bandanas and liked lobsters and had an you know unfortunately uh, took his own life uh how many nine years ago now no uh eight years ago um so i didn't know if i would like the movie because i didn't understand the cult that has surrounded the author that it was about right but what totally blew my mind about this movie in a way that was really affecting was that I I couldn't believe how perfectly it captured a certain dynamic and a dynamic of interviewing and a dynamic of interviewing particularly when one is young and one subject is also young this basically captured everything that I remember from my life starting out at spin like 10 years ago and you went through experiences like this too when you are you know you're young you're hungry and you kind of want the spotlight too but you don't know if you're worthy of it and there's this weird, like, you want to be friends, you want to be part of the story, but you kind of have to be outside of the story. And there's a, and also, ultimately, this weird lack of empathy that exists. Because one of the things about the movie, and I think this isn't giving anything away, but there's a, you know, David Foster Wallace suffered from depression, among other things. And we know that just from the bullet points of his life. And in this movie, he talks a little bit about that. And Jesse Eisenberg, who's the sort of hot shit reporter, Rolling Stone reporter from New York, comes to to talk to him and he's basically like why aren't you having the time of your life because you have this best-selling book and isn't everything great for you and he cannot he he just is completely unable to appreciate the depth of someone else's experience he has no place in his brain for actual unhappiness or you know maybe feeling empty despite all outward validation and that really rang true man it was just such as it got this really intense thing about being young and trying to get the story and i just didn't think let me put it this way. Before watching this movie, I didn't know if that vibe was worthy of a cinematic exploration. But there it was. And I don't know if other people who didn't have that journalism experience appreciated that about the movie or what they got out of the movie, other than it being a not like a, a pretty smart two-hander, as they say. Yeah, but I was I, just really struck by it. I really enjoyed the uh the part of like the element of the movie that sort of went back to the the nineties sort of underground part of it where it was everything was kind of a rumor or a secret right and uh you would go to these events like whether they were readings or concerts and and you didn't really have a media apparatus to tell you about uh everything about somebody so people had mystery yeah and i think that he was a figure that had a lot of mystery surrounding him even though obviously you know he had his his admirers and that's sort of the part of this story is that jesse eisenberg wanting him to be a a kind of bigger than life icon and it's just a guy living in Minnesota and teaching and kind of ha- having a lot of self-doubt. So I thought they just really captured the time period yeah. in a really economical way. It's something flashy. There's a little bit of music in there, but just the kind of like bumming around these, like this circuit of clubs and bars and bookstores was really fascinating. But also there's this moment in the end of the movie when uh, David Foster Wallace goes outside to scrape the ice off his car and Eisenberg is alone he plays, this, he plays the writer David Lipsky, and he's alone in, in, in uh, Wallace's house. And he walks around narrating what he sees and the mundanity of it, you know, like the Alanis Morissette poster on the wall and the, the empty uh, diet right bottles. And then he goes into the, the Sanctum Sanctorum, 
he goes into the room where the magic happens. And it's just this dingy, poorly lit, filthy room with a computer on it. And it's just this intense reminder that I think everyone gets away from. People who are completely removed from um, the art-making process or celebrity process and people you know, who write about it or cover it, which is ultimately it's someone just struggling with stuff. It's someone alone in a room trying to do some work. And that's true for everyone. That's yeah. true for like you know people whom we love and talk about, like Kanye. That's true for people who write the shows we're talking about. And to see it and realize it's not that glamorous, there's a moment when it's just a struggle, and it's that struggle. The struggle is real, as people say. It's a it, these are small points, but it was really striking to see them captured in a movie. Yeah, it's an excellent movie. If nobody's seen it, it kind of got criminally overlooked at award season. But I think that that was just one of those things where they probably gauged its. Chances. I'm surprised Siegel didn't get a little bit more play, but I agree. But you know, I, it's funny. You, you you were talking about Better Call Saul, and you were like, you still sometimes wonder why is this a show? Everything about this movie screamed, why is this a movie to me? And then you realize what makes a movie good is when you find the story that's important that you want to tell within the bones of other stories. Yeah. Right? This wasn't. This is not a biopic of David Foster Wallace necessarily. This is not a movie even necessarily about the book that David Lipsky wrote about their interview or the Rolling Stone interview. It's about um, the anxiety of influence and jealousy and just in the, in the art making process in a way, you know? So, so basically what I'm saying is when I write the book about recording this podcast with you, right? <laughs> yeah. Like the movie that they make of it will be pretty, pretty interesting. Let's hope. Who's, who, so Jason Momoa is playing me. <laughs> who's, who's playing you? Renner. Why do you got to get rid of I... <laughs> Why are you a Momoa? Because I was just I was just riffing. I feel like that you struck blood there. That's like you get rid Damn, it's cold. That's why you're going to win. You're always thinking. Uh, we'll be back Monday. No re-up this week, but we'll be back on Monday to talk about Thrones. Uh, this has been The Watch. Uh, make sure you sign up for the Ringer newsletter on ringer, theringer.com. Great job, Bransky! Oh.